that's what God is telling him about the lies of the enemy. Amen. Amen. He's a liar, a cheater, a deceiver, no good, dirty rat. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, Y'all agree with me? I just got done making a plan with Tino today for a trip I'm going on. We have a new church started in Puerto Vallarta. Since I've been there, Isaac sent one of his men down there to start a new CFC. They call it Central Christian, only maybe it's backwards down there. Centro, Centro Familia Christiana, I think is the way they pronounce it, but CFC. Anyway, they've started a new church, and I'm going to dedicate it when I go down in May. So I'm going to dedicate that church. I've got a weekend that I'm going to minister to leaders, pastors, and their wives about family. And then we're going to Guadalajara, and I'm going to be with Pastor Paco, ministering to leaders, and then two miracle services, and then a, a, a ministry to uh, churches, multiple churches be coming in that last night, and to the pastors from the city. And then we're going to Aguas Calientes to be in the CFC church there, which is just going great. And then that night, I'll be in the, in the Canada Honda mission. And then the next night, I believe, or got a, I get a day off. And then I'll be in the, Can the Lomas mission. That's another one. It's going good. And I'll ordain the pastors that are going to be in that church. And then we're going to Lyon where I'll minister three nights in that church. I've done that church. When I go there, we always have deliverances. I don't know why. I mean, I've grabbed them and held them while I was praying for one and had one in my other hand and cast the demons out of them while I'm praying for another one. I've had that happen before. Then get them baptized in the Holy Spirit while we're at it. But that's going to be a three-weekend trip, about 17 days which means it's going to cost a little bit because of the hotels. I don't stay in people's homes anymore. Uh, there's too much, not that they're not good people, but there's too much danger of getting sick, you know, because you don't just eat just anywhere and so on. So I need to raise about $2,000 plus to be able to, help my expenses and Tino's because he's going to cart me everywhere. And two, when we stay in hotels, then usually him and Sarah stay in one room, I stay in the other. So anyway, agree with me. For uh, Really, I'm, I'd, I'd like to have $2,500 because the airplane ticket's like $700. And so it, it's, an, it's, a, it's not cheap. But I decided to do it this way because it's costly to go more than once in a year. And this way, by staying a few extra days, I can go to four major cities, which 
Puerto Vallarta, I don't know how many they have, but Guadalajara has 10 to 13 million. Aguas Calientes has about 2 million. And Leon has 3 to 4 million in it. And so, you know, we always have a lot of miracles, deliverances, and when that happens, we have a lot of salvations. And so I try to make the most of the trip. And since I've turned 65, I need, and we got two or three days of rest, you know, planned specifically different times. So it's, uh, it's important that I don't just wear myself down to a frazzle. You know, I will eat some tacos, that's for sure. And I'll eat eggs for breakfast, and I'll keep my strength up going that way. But anyway, it's Tino works me. He gets he rides me like a mule, you know, and works me hard when I go down there. So uh, they expect a lot. I've seen a lot of miracles down there. Lots of blinded eyes, dead raised, deaf ears open, cripples, un their arms unfurl, uh, people walk that couldn't walk, you know. It, this stuff happens all the time. When I was in Costa Rica, a lady begged for my handkerchief after I'd wiped my head and my face with it and everything. She took it home, put it on her mother who was very sick, and she got healed and then came to church that night. You know, we've just seen some wild stuff anyway. But uh, you pray with me. I need to raise some money for it. I, I used to always put on a GoFundMe. I don't even know if I remember how to do that. I might have to get Zach to help me do that again. But anyway, pray with me that the money will come in. If any of y'all wish to donate to the cause, you can write your check to CFWC. And then, you know, huh? CFFI. What am I talking about? Man, I got all these churches in my head. They're acronyms. But anyway. I had lunch with my wife today. We always like to go to Dexter Barbecue on Wednesday because they have a chicken special. They give you half a chicken with some french fries. Always add a salad to it, but uh, for a good price. So we did. We were sitting there just waiting for our food to arrive, and a short, older man walked down between the tables and he he had to be pushing 90 at least and he looked down at me and he kind of peered at me like that and he said you're a Christian aren't you you're a believer in Jesus Christ I said yes sir I am I said I've been in the ministry for 40 plus years and he said well I have two he said I had a tumor on the brain and I had to quit preaching five years ago. But he said, I'm still here. And he said, I don't see too good. Would you pray for me to see better? I said, of course, I'll do it right now. And I grabbed his hand, and I asked him what his name was, and he said, he's a Baptist preacher from just up around Greenville somewhere. said he started that church 30 years ago. His name is Leroy Foster. I don't know if anybody here has heard of him before. But I grabbed his hand and I prayed, Lord, touch Brother Leroy Foster's eyes right now in the name of Jesus. And he felt the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I did too. But anyway, he told me, when I walked out, I patted him, I said, you be blessed. He said, keep praying for my eyes. I said, I believe that your eyes are going to be healed. And he, he just started praising the Lord, you know. But uh, Leroy Foster, if you think of him, pray for his eyes. He wants to see better. But it's great to be out and about. You know, when somebody can't see real good, but yet they look at your face and they can recognize that the glory of God is with you and that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That means a lot to me when that happens. And so uh, then we had a little fellowship there with Brother Kent Miller from Palace of Praise. He and I have a habit of ending up the same restaurant a lot of times over the years. But we praise the Lord together too. But it was wonderful fellowship. God has you going wherever you go and you can influence people. James Littleton called me today and he just can't wait to come up here and visit us sometime. And uh, he's trying to encourage his wife, Sister Virginia, to come for the women's conference. I think that means James would be coming with her. But uh, he didn't know if she's going to come for it or not. And uh, he said, maybe Sister Virginia or Lucia can call her and encourage her to come. I said, well, James, you never know. But his mother passed away, so we keep him in prayer too. He went to the funeral. And uh, anyway, Brother James, he gets wound up, and we talk, and he talks, and I listen. And then I bless him usually. That's the way it usually goes. But the Lord is good. We're talking about lies that Satan uses. He does not want you to serve God effectively. He does not want you, and I agree with Nelson. He said he's going in to apply for Walmart again, and I told him today I agree with him that he'll get that job. You know why? Because he has witnessed to more people over the last 20 or so years down there at the parking lot of Walmart than probably anybody in Poplar Bluff. I mean, we'd see each other all the way across the parking lot, and I'd yell, Brother Nelson. He'd say, Pastor Kevin McAnulty. And then we'd yell, Jesus is Lord. Amen. But I pray that he gets that job so that he can once again be a dynamo out there but the enemy wants to lie and he wants to stop you from being in a position of strength so that you make a difference in people's lives and it's just tremendous you know what the possibilities are now let's go on and turn to Zechariah 3 verse 1 and the the lie that the enemy he's got it up on the screen the enemy wants to tell you the third lie that I'm dealing with is listen to my whispers. Did you know that if somebody whispers and you get right up in there to listen to them, you got to get close for somebody to whisper to you. And believe me, you don't want to get that close to your enemies to where you can understand and hear their whisper. But this verse says, then he showed me Joshua. 
the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. The enemy is not too embarrassed to show up when you're before the Lord to try to oppose you. Some of the most difficult times are when you want to press through in prayer and the enemy will try to get you distracted so that you won't be able to pray through on things. We used to have that terminology when I was a kid about praying through. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you pray through, that means you get past all the obstructions, all the distractions, and everything that would hinder you from your prayers being effective. Faith moves mountains. Prayers get you in a position to use your faith, Caleb. You know, you, you can speak to the mountain in faith, and it has to move when you're truly living in faith. But your prayers is what positions you to be able to speak out in faith. That's why we pray out. and I pray the Lord's Prayer every day. I pray the Jabez Prayer. And then I pray in tongues. And then I pray everything else that I can think of. Many times I pray for you. So anyway, the enemy tries to oppose. Now the first thing is, since it's up on the screen, I, I don't even need to read with these glasses. Firstly, the devil tries to get close enough to where he can whisper in your ear and his voice becomes familiar. And, you know, some people, they talk about being comfortable. <coughs> but I'll say, most of the time it's not about being comfortable. Most people are not that comfortable when they're going through difficulties. But they won't do something about it a lot of times because they know what to expect. And I just call it being familiar. Familiarity doesn't mean it's a joy or that it's a victory because you're familiar with it. I'd rather not be familiar with the devil's tactics all the time. I'd rather he not even be near me so that I can press through to my position of faith and declare the victories and cast those mountains into the sea and then ask what I want to ask for and receive it because he said I can have it. If I don't doubt and I believe, he said you can receive it. And I like that verse that Pastor Ken says a lot of times in Ephesians about he wants you to bless you exceeding abundantly above all that you would ask or think. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to receive. <coughs> he wants you to have a victory in every direction. Now, secondly, whoever you walk close to is who you give access to and that is the voice that you hear. 
to whoever you're walking with is who you're listening to. And you got to watch opening the door. You know. Uh, I told y'all, and I try not to tell the same stories, but I still tell a lot of them again. But anyway, I threw away all my rock and roll and pop records, jazz records, when I committed myself to the ministry down in New Orleans. I went to the dumpster at my apartment complex, and if they wouldn't break, they bent. I bent those vinyl records and tossed them into the dumpster. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to get me a cough drop out of here. Not, it's just a little itch. It's really, you know, I don't have it until I get up here. That tells you something, doesn't it? The devil doesn't want me to tell you this stuff. <coughs> but he doesn't want you to walk close. The Lord doesn't want you to walk close to the enemy. He wants you to walk with the Lord. In Amos chapter 3, in fact, I think it's verse 3 or 8, somewhere in there, he says, you cannot walk together unless you agree. So you can't be agreeing with the devil. You don't need to be walking close enough to him so you hear what he says. Thirdly, the devil says things like this. If you're not attractive enough, you'll never get married. There's nobody here that's got to worry about that, I don't think. But, or God, or he says, or God will forgive, so go ahead and sin. He's going to forgive you anyway, just go ahead. Or, to somebody that's had a substance abuse problem, you'll always be an addict, so just go ahead and use. That's the way the devil reasons. He doesn't want you to be successful. The fourth thing is this. The accusers, whispers, always lead to spiritual and or relational bankruptcy. If you're listening to the wrong voice, it's going to get you to not walk and fill your spiritual bank up. You're going to run out because you're walking and listening to the wrong voices because they will never tell you to do something that's going to make you grow spiritually. Now, in Zechariah chapter 3, 1 and 2, I read this first one earlier, but he showed Joshua and he, and he showed the devil standing at the right hand of the angel of the Lord to oppose him. You're always going to have somebody opposing you when you're doing something for God. Verse 2, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? He's talking about Joshua. The Lord, when you walk next to him, he will rebuke your enemy for you. You know, I don't, some of it's semantics. 
But some people get into this thing where they want to rebuke the devil all the time. Now, Jesus rebuked the devil. Michael said he didn't even do a railing accusation against the devil, you know. But he said, the Lord rebuked thee. So it's good for you to put the Lord in charge of the rebuking. And because what do you do when you have a bully running around and you start rebuking him? You make him want to fight you. Sometimes we bluster spiritually and what we're doing is stirring the enemy up. Sometimes we don't even need to acknowledge him. We need to just say, get thee behind me, Satan. Like Jesus said when Peter was trying to say something, the devil was whispering in his ear. He said, that, you know, get thee behind me. And the Lord did rebuke the enemy, but he's Jesus, you know. We're his children. We're his brothers in the Lord, sisters in the Lord, in God. But, you know, Michael said it the right way. The Lord rebuke you. So when we stand, we want him to hear the voice of the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. I remember John Paul Jackson. He's a prophet that died, I think, when he was 59 years old. He came to South Florida two or three times. But he always told the story about this one church that got into in their prayer times, calling down the strong man of abortion in their city. And they started calling him down to try to deal with him. And I'm not saying we should fear the enemy, but we should not antagonize him either. As After they did that, there was like four or five women in the church that had miscarriages. And the devil decided he was going to go on a tangent. And you may feel like you're strong enough or somebody may feel like they're the ones that can deal with the devil directly. But sometimes it's not getting a lot of wisdom to get in that position of rebuking the devil. So after they repented of acting kind of in pride, they determined that they, you know, would depend on the Lord to deal with that spirit. And so, you know, uh, you've got to use wisdom. But the Lord rebuked the devil. He said, isn't this somebody that I saved? We have people that have overcome things. Boy, what a great testimony that was, Kelly. You know, we, we can say, his stepdaughter is a brand plucked from the fire. So, devil, the Lord rebuke you. Lord, we ask for you to station angels around her and that you would keep her safe from every harm and evil and attack of all the demons that would try to bring her back down. We ask you, Lord, to lift her up and put her in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. As I look around this room, you know, I can pray for Randy and his family and say, Lord, you know, the devil would like to bring him down. You heard him worship the Lord tonight and 
sing his heart out and you feel the anointing that's going on when he does that. Well, the devil doesn't like that. So, Randy, we ask the Lord to rebuke any kind of attack on your family in Jesus' name. And he needs a car. He needs a vehicle. So we pray right now. I felt like there's somebody, maybe a widow or somebody, I don't know, that had a car that one of their family members used that they don't use anymore and that God has a good deal. He's got some money that he can spend, but not a lot of money. So we pray for the right vehicle for Randy Salamone. We know it's appointed. I'm just going to declare it prophetically right now. That vehicle is coming into your driveway. Hallelujah. Into your parking place. I've seen it many times. I've had probably about 10 cars given to me in the ministry, to the ministry, that wasn't for me personally. I told you about how I liked a 72 Porsche, and this lady donated a 72 Porsche to the Christian school down in Homestead. I said, Lord, what are you doing to me? Now, it needed some work. You know I always liked that car. But you know what? We put it in a silent auction where you just write in the amount. And a mailman from the church bought it, and the money went to the school. Then I always wanted a 57 Chevy. And lo and behold, one of the guys there that was coming to the ministry, he donated a 57 Chevy car body with racing a racing rear end on that thing. It didn't have an engine now. Now, I don't need a car that doesn't have no engine in it because I'm not a mechanic. But, you know, I said, Lord, you got such a sense of humor. We put that in the auction and it sold. And we put that money in the Christian school. I had a, a, a Ford Explorer donated here and, and one of the ladies here in the church got that. You know who I'm talking about, Sister Sheila. God blessed her. And she got a vehicle. Then there was another person. There was an expedition that was donated when we were over in the conference center building. And I was able to give it to a family that needed it. And another family donated a, a minivan to a couple that used they were trying to walk to church on Sunday. You know, it's just a domino effect. So we keep that ball rolling. I want that anointing to keep coming on me, Lord for cars to be donated to the ministry so we can give it to people that have a need. Hallelujah. Because they're brands plucked from the fire. They're people that God wants to live a blessed life. They don't need to be listening to the whispers of the enemy to try to get them off track, but let them center in and keep their eyes on Jesus and, and see them get blessed even some more. So let's go ahead and look at verse number 5. You feel your faith has been exhausted and you are burnt out. Your spiritual identity is challenged when you feel that way. Some people, they're just worn out and then they question their identity. Oh Lord, how can I be a minister? It's so hard. God, how can I do this? I'm trying to be an evangelist. Not, I'm, I'm not talking about myself. 
somebody cries, I'm trying to be an evangelist and I don't have a good vehicle that won't break down when I'm traveling to go preach somewhere. You know, all kinds of things can cause you to question your identity and who you are because the devil's always trying to challenge you saying, you know what, you're just wearing yourself out trying to do this stuff for God. He'll attack you on every side especially if you're evangelizing. You know, Brother Stephen's recovering at home from neck surgery. And he had three vertebrae that were fused. And he told me how he used to have a van and he would go pick people up and bring them to church. But you know what? He got married. And his wife had some kids. And then they had another kid. And for long, he's got a lot of responsibilities and duties. And you know what? The enemy could come at you and say, you know, what do you think you're going to do? You just got all these family members now. No, you keep being a witness in spite of a change in your status. You're a brand plucked from the fire. You've been delivered for a reason to do the things God wants you. There's number six. The devil wants you to doubt that God can provide for your needs to be met. That's another part of that whisper. You know God's not going to meet your needs. You, you shouldn't be going to church all the time. You could be working. You know you can make that double time on Sundays. You ought to be working on Sunday. You could make a better living or whatever. But the devil is a liar. And he's going to whisper in your ear all kinds of stuff. Let's look at number seven. God will whisper even in the chaos <coughs> as the devil will attack after you have a great victory like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You remember Elijah? He challenged the prophets of Baal. And man, he said, you just load up the altar with water. And my God will consume my sacrifice. And they were beating themselves and cutting themselves and screaming out to their God. Nothing happened. Their, their, their big old chunk of wood, it didn't even get a spark. He said, oh, go ahead and dump some more water on mine. And he called out to God and fire came down from God out of heaven and consumed the altar, all the wood and everything. And boy, what a victory. <coughs> when people see that kind of thing happen, your God is God. He went and he cut the heads off. What, 850, wasn't it, total? 400 prophets of Baal and 450 of the Asherah. You know, the prophets of Baal, if you just want a little insight, we're all adults in here pretty much, Caleb's teenager but the prophets of Baal they worship the man parts if I can put it that way that's why I never liked steeples on churches you got the Washington Monument because it's representative of the male reproductive system and the Asherah is worship of the female parts but Elijah wasn't going to put up with any of it. 
Because, see, they were all fornicating and with idolatry in the temples. The priest and priestess, they were all seductive and doing all this debauchery. And Elijah, God was fed up with it. So he allowed him to chop the heads off all those prophets. And the people, I imagine the people were a little worried. But he had somebody named Jezebel. Zach talked about Jezebel on Sunday. How uh, they came and told, told those eunuchs, throw her down. Are you with me? Who's Jehu, you said? He said, throw her down. And they threw her down. And she broke up. And those dogs chewed her up. Not to be too graphic. But they attacked her. All that was left was her hands, the palms of her hands, her feet, and her skull. Now that is not a pretty picture. But Jezebel got dealt with, but not before Elijah had to deal with the enemy's whisper. Because Jezebel said, I'm going to have you and cut your head off. I'm going to attack you. And so, number Let's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 and 12 says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. Can I say a whisper? Whose whisper are you listening to? Are you listening to the devil's whisper? All he's going to tell you is you can't do anything. You're not going to be blessed. God doesn't love you. You're not going to receive what you want to receive from him. But God is a still, small voice. He was not in those three things. Uh, Elijah had run, and he went, and he got fed by the brook Cherith. And he received food off the king's table from the ravens. And then the creek, the water ran out. And so then he moved on. And that's when he ended up in that cave. How many of you have run from things sometimes and you just felt like you're in a cave? You're just not, you don't feel worthy. You don't feel like you have the strength. You don't feel like you can do anything right. And so you're in this cave. And yet the Lord wasn't in the wind. Hey, we went through, you know, we heard about the trouble up in what was called Glen Allen up close to Marble Hill, I think, and some people lost their lives. Sean's family went through Pine Cone Estates when it had a tornado years ago. And it's a serious thing. Man, some of these tornadoes are huge. But we went through Hurricane Andrew. You know, we evacuated. But the eye wall was like 30 to 35 miles wide. That's like a hurricane from here to Sykeston, an earthquake, or kind of like a tornado. It was a hurricane, but it was like a big tornado. 
it had tornadoes in the eye wall called vortexes. And the winds itself were sustained from 155 to 165 miles per hour. Now, I'm going to tell you what. If you're in a car and you run into a wall going 165, there ain't nothing left. And that hurricane was going 155 to 165 miles per hour around. The ones in the eye wall, those tornadoes, were like Cat 5 tornadoes in them. Their wind broke the wind meter at the Air Force Base at 235 miles per hour. It broke a concrete pole behind my house bigger around than I can put my arms around. Snapped it like a twig. I had a torn... Uh, a Corvette T-top in my living room without the Corvette. I had a lawnmower, a riding mower that wasn't my mower in my living room. Just all kinds of crazy stuff like that. That was a mean storm. I know what it can do. you got to respect the storms that are out there because they're real. But our God is greater. His voice was... You know, a lot of people, oh, that was God disciplining South Florida for all their hedonistic ways. Well, what about all the Christians that were down there? We were in the middle of big revival happening. We were having people saved every Sunday. We were having all kinds of great things happen, and then we had a hurricane destroy us. And I lost 300 people overnight. I had to put up a fireworks tent just to have church. And we had a tent meeting for six months. Most people moved out that got their insurance money. I was only one of four English-speaking pastors south of Miami to Key West that stayed and continued to pastor after a year. Then new people came in, see? Rescue teams, all kinds of stuff. So there was new ministries that tried to come in and all. But I was only one of four that stayed. Now, there were some Spanish-speaking ones, too, that, that were there. But a lot of them just said, I can't deal with this. I'm out of here. Well, I got my hurricane money and just moved in land about five more miles. Got me another house. you know. And I said, no, I'm going to see this revival through. And we did. We had great revival for years. And that's why I'm here, to have revival see God move in a powerful way. But he's not in all that stuff. He's in his still small voice. After you settle down, you close your eyes, and you sit and you listen, he'll speak to you. Eight, the enemy through Jezebel came out with a vengeance. So Elijah ran as those seductive spirits carry evil messages. He listened to the enemy and it made him run away. Tell you what, something else. 1 Kings 19.2 says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. I already told this story, but said, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She said she was going to cut his head off by tomorrow night. 
That made him worry. You know, how many of y'all ministered up front the Word of God or laid hands on people before? Well, I tell you what, don't you know you feel the anointing so strong? And you feel good? And then, as soon as you say amen at the end of the service, I remember I'd pray for people. They'd be slain in the Spirit, holy laughter, people getting healed. And then when the final amen was said, and I took a drink of water, and everything kind of, I'd be trying to get out the building, and somebody come up, well, Pastor, can you pray for me now? I didn't come up because there was so many people. And I'm like, man, I don't even feel like I could blow up a balloon right now much less pray for you. But I smiled and said, okay. I didn't have any oomph at all. Because the anointing that was upon me had burnt to a crisp, and then the service was over. And you know what? We're only human. And so you can't just turn it on and off whenever you want to. I walk in it. And most of the time I can pray for anybody but with faith. But when the gifts are moving, don't wait until the whole thing's over and then go up there and try to get in on it. Grab it while it's good. While it's flowing and blowing, as they say. But, uh, you know, it, it's just something about it. But Elijah cut off all those heads, killed all those false prophets, and the anointing had kind of dwindled. And he didn't feel like the mighty prophet at that moment. And that's when Jezebel whispered with the devil's voice, I'm going to kill you the same way by tomorrow night. Now, why couldn't that man of God just stood up to her then? See, we're human. And the enemy knows exactly when to come and attack when you least expect it. Then he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He was really hiding out and came and sat down under the broom tree and he prayed that he might die. said, It is enough. Now, Lord, Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he went from such a great victory to feeling like he didn't even want to live. That's Elijah. Anybody here as powerful as Elijah? Or cut off 850 heads of false prophets? Well, I tell you what, we can feel that way too sometimes. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Man, isn't that great to have an angel bring you a takeout meal? It wasn't a burger from Wendy's, but, you know, it was a cake. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food. Forty days and forty nights 
as far as Orab, the mountain of God. It's kind of cool because the devil's nickname was Beelzebub. Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. And a fly's life span is about 40 days. So 40 is quite a significant number. The children of Israel wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. And so here Elijah went for 40 days in the strength of one cake. I had that 40-day fast, and I went in the strength of one half of a peanut butter sandwich on the 37th day. <laughs> I didn't eat it the first day that I started. I slipped up, got in bed, and my wife said, You smell peanuts? And I was caught. So I had to fast another extra meal just to make up for that. But you can go 40 days, and that's what happened with Elijah. He was in the wilderness. Man, he was having a breakthrough with God. And then, what do we see? There he went into a cave. Spent the night in that place. It wasn't the Holiday Inn Express either. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He gave him 40 days to recover. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. You talk about a pity party. Elijah was having a pity party. I'm the only one. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces, before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. Now this is significant. The mantle is like a uniform. It's a jacket. He wrapped himself in his identity. Remember what I told you? The enemy wants to cause you to lose touch with God so that you'll lose your identity. You see, he had lost his identity, John, so then he grabbed his mantle. He grabbed his identity and he wrapped himself in the cloak that he was known for and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then there's more to that story. But he ran and that's when things started to percolate. So that's for another day. But anyway, there's some lessons to be learned. The first thing is, God uses everything for good to position His people to hear His whisper. He'll get you in a place where you can't run in your own strength anymore. And He'll get you where 
you're going to hear what he has to say. Just like he got him in that cave after 40 days. took him 40 days to get Elijah out of himself. Sometimes it takes a while for us to get out of ourselves and get to where God can talk to us. Secondly, he desires to pass by. To cross o- that pass by meant to cross over or cover us in our spiritual cave. God wanted to cover Elijah, and what's he cover you with? Well, he'll cover you with his glory. So, and we see, thirdly, he wants to cover us with his glory and restore, our. that means restore our purpose and empower us to step into our future. When we get rid of self enough to hear God's voice, do what he says, go where he tells us to go, and then he restores us and covers us with his glory. Man, I was ready to quit the ministry in New Orleans when I was in a home missions church. I went from four people to 12 people in nine months. We had 300% growth. We tripled in the church. If 12's not, well, I guess that's a pretty good number because Jesus had 12 disciples. But boy, when I got a call from First Assembly in Poplar Bluff, see if I'd come up, be associate pastor, lead worship, lead the youth program, and then lead the Christian school, boy, they were asking for a miracle to get me to do all that. But I accepted it heartily. And I came, and the Lord blessed it. And he used me and my anointing to do good for the school, especially. Can't say the same thing about leading worship like I was telling Randy. I was leading worship one night. I never could remember words. I had the index cards, Brother Kevin, and I dropped it. And I bent over to pick it up, and I split my pants from the crotch all the way up to the back belt. I had my wife and three other ladies singing background for me, behind me. And I stood up real quick. I said, everybody raise your hands and bow your heads. The Holy Spirit's moving right now. Pastor Snavely's coming. And I ran off the stage and out the door, went home, changed my pants, came back. That's because I couldn't remember words. So I'd just make them up. I think that's how I became prophetic is I just made up the words according to the Spirit in me. But anyway, but God, He's always wanting to do something great. Fourthly, we must know He won't always sound the same. Not wine, it should have been wind. That's my own typo. (laughs) But wind, fire, earthquake, but still small voice. Some people always want something big. Man, the fire of God fell on that place tonight. Man, we could hear the Holy Ghost roll in just like on the day of Pentecost. Did you hear the wind blow? (laughs) I've heard it blow. I've been outside when a wind came through Hocotepec, Mexico, and we were under a, a tarp, a big tarp tent, 
and the wind started blowing, and they had a center post. And I was standing there at the podium watching about from here just past Cherish. That center post went, whoa, whoa. I thought, man, we might have to run out of this place. That thing's going to come down on us. But it didn't. It stopped finally. But, you know, he's not always the same the way he speaks to us. And I know how to stir up a crowd. I grew up in Pentecost. And I know how to get the juices flowing. It's, I get Randy. We can do some singing and some shouting. We can have the saints running around the auditorium before you know it. But it didn't always end that. Sometimes it's when you're sitting quietly, waiting on the Lord, and He speaks. And uh, it's not just the way we always think. Where I'm at, number five, number five. The difference in the whisper is that God always brings His glory. His whisper always brings His glory. You saw my typo? I'm missing an A. But we got it. Six, the enemy's whisper is like witchcraft, which is lakesh in the Hebrew, and it means to charm or conjure up. Sorcery uses someone we know and speaks evil of one another, and when that happens, it empowers Satan. We all can be guilty of this. We have to watch it. Don't let the enemy get you talking bad about somebody else that's a friend or a person in church. You've got to watch that. I've got to watch it. Sometimes we get irritated with people and we want to talk about it. But it's not righteous. All it does is it fires up the enemy. It empowers him to cause trouble. Anyway... Number seven. Are the, no, that don't worry about that. I, I had the wrong scripture, Sister Di. Number, go to number seven. Yeah. I mess wrote. I noticed it after I looked it over. The seventh thing is this. Don't consult with those who whisper things about one another. That's what I just said. Isaiah chapter 8, is it? Y'all stuck there? Oh, well, I had one. I'll, I'll see it here in my own verses. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 through 22 says, and when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards and whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should not they seek the dead on behalf of the living? They're saying, don't seek the dead. They're not going to tell you anything. Don't be enamored with those guys on TV about crossing over. Oh, I'm going to tune in dance Sally now. She's been dead for 20 years, but I think she's saying something. Oh, you got an Aunt Sally? Okay. And 
What is your name? Is it Becky, Bobby, Betty? Yeah, I'm Betty. And before long, they got this person crying and all stirred up. And they just, they're in awe. Oh, I can't believe it. I heard from Aunt Sally. Well, what'd she tell you? Did you get a victory on the stock market or anything out of it or what? You know, it's not righteous. And so that's what he's saying. You shouldn't ask the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Don't go to any psychics or people, wizards or sorcerers or witches. If they can't speak the word of God, they have no light. I've cast demons out of several witches through the years. They just can't stand it. And said, they will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. When people seek through enemy sources, they're going to be greatly disappointed. The enemy doesn't want to bless you. That's why I've told you before I'll never play the lottery because the devil will let me win and win something big enough that my name will be in the newspaper. You know, and I've got to be honest, I've gone and I've seen these people, yeah, give me a pick three, give me a $5 this, give me this, give me that. They spend $29 and they got all these lottery tickets and they can't wait to go check them out. And I just ignore it and go pay for my soda and bag of chips. So that is not a temptation to me because it's just tempting me to destroy myself. No amount of money is going to bless you. And, you know, I've had a lot of people say, well, you don't understand, Pastor. If I win, I'm going to tithe on it. Yeah, you haven't been tithing already. Why did I expect you to tithe on the lottery winnings? You know? <laughs> anyway. There's also scripture about receiving ill-gotten gain. That there's a curse attached to that. I don't want any tithe off a lottery win. Eight, position yourself to hear God's whisper, and then you can face your accusers. As you abide in Christ, you'll bear fruit. And not just bear fruit. I was talking to somebody about that today. It's not just about bearing fruit. It was James Littleton that I was talking to. I said, James, because he's saying, your spiritual son's bearing fruit down here, Pastor Kevin. I said, well, I'm not interested in just bearing fruit. I, the Word says he's going to help you to bear fruit that will remain. Amen. Give the devil a punch to his gut, would you? John 15, and that's a long portion. But I don't need to read all this. You know it. He is the vine and we are the branches. And it's so that we can produce fruit. Later on it says, and producing fruit 
that will bring you joy and the fruit will remain. When I go places that I've been before and I have somebody come up to me and tell me, well, you gave me a word. I remember I went to Guadalajara and this chiropractor came up to me and he showed me this little boy, baby boy. He said, you prophesied that my wife would bear me a son. I said, I did? Man, I don't know. I prophesied over a lot of people on trips. He said, yes. And you know what? I believed it. That was 12 years ago. I said, oh, wow. You had faith. He said, I believe the word you gave me. And he said, the doctor told us my wife wasn't able to bear children, but you told me she would have a son. And here he is. I went back a couple years later, and he come and brought me this little girl. He said, now she's given me a daughter. Wasn't supposed to be able to have kids at all. You gave me a word, and I believed it. That woman we cast demons out of, Tino led to the Lord. 20 years later, I was telling the story, and she jumps up and says, I was that woman that you cast demons out of. And now she is a leader in that church in Guadalajara. Yeah, I've had many people do that kind of stuff. Some of them are pastors now. Well, you told me I was going to be in the ministry. I did? Okay. Yeah, I'm a pastor now. Wow. That amazes me to hear these testimonies. You see, when the Lord says it, sometimes it's a whisper. But you grab a hold of it and you believe it. It's true. God does powerful things. Amen? Well, if you're ready to go home and eat, stand up. We ate the spiritual, now we're going to eat the, the natural. Might have to go home and eat a peanut butter sandwich. Who knows? Well, Lord, we lift you up. We thank you that we don't have to listen to the whispers of the enemy. They have nothing for us. But we want to hear your still small voice. We want to be effective in your kingdom. And therefore, we reach out to you tonight and say, Lord, let us learn to be still in your presence and hear your voice and follow after you. And we give you praise for it. We give you honor for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. If you can make it out to the wedding on Saturday at noon, Chelsea and John are tying the knot. Hallelujah. Glory.